Good morning again. How is everyone? Have you had the chance this week to lift up your eyes to see Jesus? Have you had a chance to do that in our hearts and minds where we, where we just spend some time lifting up our hearts and minds to Jesus? There is no other name except Jesus that can save us, right? And, and if you don't have an opportunity during the week, pause and take that time. And every day we should be able to do that. Just pause and realize who Jesus is and what he did for us. Amen? Amen. So if you have your Bibles, if you take them out and turn to Psalm 119, and we have a message outline. You can pick that up right at the center doors at the ministry counter there to follow along with the message. Um, sometimes we can be so busy in our life, right? A lot of us are busy. We, we say we're busy. I, sometimes I think we just like to say that. You know, working so hard, doing so many things, that we don't have time for anything else. We don't have time for a family. We don't have time for others. And we know we need to have time for a family. We need to time, have, have time for others, right? Right, don't we? Yes, yes, we do. And I wonder if that sometimes, if that's the way we look at the Bible. That we say, I, I'm so busy. I, I know I need to get into it. I know I need to get in the Bible. But maybe I don't even have really the desire to get in the Bible. It, it's kind of like uh, I get up in the morning and, and look at my to-do list. And I say, oh, I don't have time to do that. I don't have the desire to do that, right? So we put it off, and we beat ourselves up, and we say, I, I, I can't do this, and it doesn't happen, but I'm going to try harder, and I'm going to work harder, but I'm going to do it, and it still doesn't happen. Does that sound familiar? That we don't get in the Word of God? That we just beat ourselves up like that? We want to look at Psalm 19. It's going to help us with that this morning. Psalm 19. Uh, we're in our series, God's Book, uh, we're looking at Psalm 119 because we're talking about the Bible because it addresses the Word of God. All 176 verses of Psalm 119, 22 sections, 8 verses in each section. It's so beautifully constructed. We talked a little bit about that last week. I want to remind you again this week. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. 22 times 8, 176 uh, verses what we have. Every one of those eight verse sections that we find starts with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Every one of them, all 22 letters, all 22 sections. So those first eight set verses that we find in Psalm 119, every verse starts with that first word of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, right? Just like we would start with A. And then the second set of eight verses, 9 through 16, are going to start with the second letter, Beth. It's going to start with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and so forth and so on, till you get to all 22 sections, all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And you ask, why would they do that in this in Psalm 119? There's two reasons. I talked about it last week. Two reasons. One of the reasons is to help them to memorize, for memorization, help them to memorize. The second reason they do that is to help them to communicate completeness or thoroughness. Or where we might say even today, they know everything about cars from A to Z. Do you ever say that? Or we know everything about farming from A to Z. And it's like what they're saying there. They're saying, they, they, it's their way of saying, this is in all of its completion right here in Psalm 119. All of its completion right here. Everything you need to know about the Bible is right here is what they're saying. When Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations, Lamentations is a funeral dirge. It's man sharing about his grief, what he's going through and stuff. He doesn't use it in acrostic like we find here in Psalm 119. But there's a number of acrostics in that five-chapter book that he does use. And, and, but all of them have these key points that he brings out where he says, and the Lord is my portion, great is your faithfulness, and your mercies are new every morning. But basically what he's saying here in that five-chapter uh, book of Lamentations, God, I'm pouring out my grief to you from A to Z is what Jeremiah is saying. But in the midst of all that, I find your mercies are new every morning is what he's saying, what he's talking about Lamentations. Uh, this particular section in Psalm 119, we're going to be in verses 33 through 
40 is for anybody who is a struggler, who's a struggler. And, and I wonder if I'm speaking to someone who's a struggler, who they say, you know, I mean, we don't literally jump out of the bed or motivated to dive into the Word of God, you know, every morning. It, it takes some work to get there, right? And maybe you say, I can't even read the Word of God in the morning because my mind isn't awake. And it's hard to get into the Word of God. In these eight verses we're going to read today, I find it interesting because the psalmist gives us a, a prayer. He's given us a prayer in these eight verses. And, and I would approach this a little differently if I was the psalmist. If, for example, if somebody came up to me and said, you know, I'm having a little hard time getting into the Word of God. I don't do it on a regular basis. And I really don't even have a desire to get into the Word of God. My counsel might be to them, well, it, well, it takes discipline to get in God's Word. Discipline, discipline just like you do in every area of life. To survive, you need discipline, right? Here in these eight verses, he doesn't use the word discipline. He, 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 that's a, he has a component of that here, we'll find it. But he, there's something more important than discipline that leads us to desire. And that's what he's going to share with us. He's going to pray that in eight verses right here. We're going to see that. And every one of those eight verses has a response. Uh, it has a request, rather. Notice, first of all, in verses 33 through 34, the first part of understanding this is we need God in order to love God's Word. We need God in order to love God's Word. You say, we shouldn't. We shouldn't need that. You're right. I agree. We shouldn't need God in order to love God's Word. But we do. We do. We have to be honest with ourselves. We need God in order to love God's Word. So I want to give you three prayers to pray before reading God's Word. And the first one, let me give you that one. Pray for clarity to obey God's Word before you start. Pray for clarity to obey God's Word. We're going to read reading verses 33 through 34. Verse 34 is a memory verse, very simple verse. But let's read 33 and 34. It says, Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law, and I will obey it with all my heart. The psalmist is praying at this point. He's saying, God, that you would teach me. The psalmist is recognizing, saying, God, I, Lord, I need you. I haven't been able to do this on my own. I need your help. I need you to teach me. I need you to help me with that, right? That's what he's saying. That's what he's asking right here. Don't you think that's a prayer that God would love to hear? Don't you think that's a prayer that God would love to hear from you and I, that we come to God and said, God, teach us. Teach us to get into your word. Teach us to love your word. And teach us to obey your word. Don't you think that's a prayer that God would love to hear from us? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, is the man without the Spirit. That's a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, their Savior. But it goes on, it says, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So what are you saying? If a person doesn't know Jesus, they may open up the Bible and they may say, this Bible doesn't make any sense to me. They may open up the Bible and say, this is ridiculous. Because this isn't the way life is. Or this is not the way the life's supposed to be, is maybe, maybe what they're saying. And all this verse is saying is that we need the Spirit of God to read this book, right? We've got to have the Spirit of God to help us understand it. Because the Spirit of God has done two things with the Word of God. The first thing is that he wrote it. It's called inspiration. Inspiration. The, in other words, God chose about 40 different authors over a course of about 1,500 years, using their personalities their vocabularies, their writing style. The Holy Spirit moved them along to write God's Word, right? And so we have here in this book the inerrant Word of God in the original manuscripts that we have here. Uh, where we have today, we're reading a copy of the Word of God right here that you don't find 
often in, in libraries anymore, right? You don't find them in all libraries like you used to. But what we have here is God's Word to us, the Bible right here, God's Word. In Psalm 138, verse 2, it says this, God has exalted two things above everything else, His name and His Word. His name and His Word, they're both eternal. Above everything else, they're going to be around forever. So the second thing the Holy Spirit does, first thing, it's called inspiration. The second thing is illumination, illumination. It's often called the teaching of illumination. The word just means he turns the light on. That's what it means. He turns the light on. And, but what does that mean? If we're reading the Word of God, we're trying to determine the meaning. What did the original author meant when he wrote it, right? That's what we need. Because even the meaning today can't be any different than what the original author intended. It's got to be the same meaning. We can't come with a different meaning, right? For most passages of Scripture, there's only one meaning for each passage of Scripture. We get to that meaning by studying, by learning, from the teaching of others. That's the way we get to that meaning of the Word of God. We many times can study and look and, and research and commentaries and all, and we come to that meaning. There are some who say, uh, their interpretation of 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, and also verse 27 there, they would say, where it basically says, now that you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that you don't need for man to teach you. What does that mean? Have you read, you remember reading that? Anybody remember reading that? Hopefully somebody remembers reading that. What does that mean? Does it mean that, that we don't need anyone to teach us because now we have the Holy Spirit? Is that what that means? If that's what that means, then it's coming in contrast and conflict with many other passages of Scripture. One is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, where God says, I've given some as pastors and teachers to teach us, to mature, mature us, and equip us to do the work of the ministry, right? And another one is 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2, where, where Paul is writing young Timothy, and he says, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust reliable men will also be qualified to teach others. So it can't mean that. It can't mean that. We, we don't need human teachers because we have the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that. All he's saying, we aren't dependent on human teachers. We're not dependent on them. But the Holy Spirit will illuminate us. He turns the light on for us. Not in terms of interpretation. In terms of interpretation, we're going to have to study the Word of God. We're going to have to get into it and learn from others. He turns the light on in terms of application. How it applies to our life. Because that's what we need, right? How does it apply to my life? Have you ever read a passage of Scripture and you read it and you say, boy, this is really for my wife, or this is really for my husband, or this is really for my child who's living inside the home. So what you do, you take this Bible of yours, you open it up to that passage, you take post-it notes, and you draw lines right to that point, arrows right to that passage, and you set it right there at the table where you think they're going to eat breakfast or dinner, and so it might be open so they might read that, right? And so while you're rereading that passage for yourself, the Holy Spirit says, no, that passage is not for them, it's for you. God said, it's for you. I have this for you. And as you're reading it, sometimes it will bring comfort. Sometimes it will bring teaching. Sometimes encouragement. Sometimes conviction. That's the work of illumination of the Holy Spirit that does that in your life. As you're reading this, you're convicted, or you're encouraged, or God uh, encouraged you to do something. That's the work of illumination of the Holy Spirit. He's doing that in your life, where he takes that passage of Scripture, and he applies it. He does that in our lives. He does that. Sometimes... The Holy Spirit will get you in a hammerlock or get you in a headlock and it'll say, this passage of Scripture, you need to change because my word can't change, right? God's word doesn't change, right? It doesn't change. So I have to change. 
And we've got to change. God said, you've got to change your lifestyle according to the word of God because God's word does not change. And the one that needs to change is not this. This is always right. This is truth. We need to change. And sometimes God brings us to that point, you need to change. I read this course that was being offered in a schoolcraft college, and I thought it was kind of cool. It's, a, it's called Coffee 101. It's called Beans, Brews, and Baristas. The course of description reads this way. It says, coffee is a pretty complicated drink. It never used to be, did it? It was pretty simple at one time. But it goes on, coffee is a pretty complicated drink. However, knowing the important basics will lead you to a better cup of joe. Through tasting and discussion, learn about the numerous factors that influence the flavor of a brew, discover how to brew better at home with strategies for every budget, gain an understanding of important terminology so you can walk in any coffee shop and order confidently, become coffee savvy. Sounds like a pretty interesting course if you like coffee. If you like, I don't, but if you like coffee, sounds like a great course, right? So suppose you take this course and you go to this course, you're, you're there for every session, you're there, and every brew that they make, you taste it, and you're there for everything, and then you ace the class, you get an A, you get everything right in there, but then after that course, you never go into another coffee shop. You never bring any coffee beans home to brew your own brew at home. What was the purpose of the course? The same thing as when we're looking at the Bible. What is the purpose of the Word of God? What is the purpose of this? When we look at it, is the purpose of, of God teaching us that God's going to teach us so we can be better at Bible trivia? Is that the purpose? So we can answer those questions and be real smart? No, the purpose of this book is to change our lives. That's what God wants, to change our lives. Notice it says in verse 33, Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. The end of verse 34, and obey it with all my heart. God wants to use this book to change our lives. That's what he wants. That's what he's, he's not so much that you're, you know every passage of scripture. He's not so much, he goes, I wanted it to change your life. And one of the ways to change your life is by getting the word of God in our hearts, right? To memorize it. That's what we want to do this year, to memorize. He wants to use this book. He says, I wanted to encourage you. I want to chisel away. So to make you a man or woman of God, that you might be thoroughly equipped for every good work is what God wants in our lives. So that's part of the prayer that we pray, that we, we have clarity to obey God's word. That's number one, right? The second one, the second part, is found in verses 35 and 36 and 40. The second prayer before reading God's word is do this one. Pray for desire to want God's word. You've got to pray for desire. He says in verse 35, direct me in the path of your commands. Why? Why do that? Because we're not going to stumble on that path on ourselves. Our hearts have no desire for the commandments of God. They don't. Our hearts, if we're honest with ourselves, we want our way. We want to do our will. We want to do what we want to do, don't we? That's what we want. So we have no desire on our own with our own hearts. I want God's commandments in my life. No, Doug, you want to do what you want to do, what you really want. We all want to do that. So he says to us, the psalmist understands that, and he says, direct me in the path of your commands. For there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statues and not toward selfish gain. Verse 40, how I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. He uses the word delight here, and he says, Lord, I delight in your word. And yet, back in the 1960s, there was a guy named Charles Hummel who wrote a book, a little book called Tyranny of the Urgent. Any of you remember that? Tyranny of the Urgent? If you haven't read it, you can get it online. You can read it. It's a wonderful little book, very small little thing to read. It only takes a few minutes. But basically what he's saying, there's two categories of things in our life. He says there are the important things, 
and the urgent things. The important things and the urgent things. Notice some of the things that are important in our lives that we would say are important. Uh, our worship time, what we're experiencing this morning, what we say that's important, right? Our, our, our time alone with God's word and time alone with God, that's important. Uh, teaching your children life lessons, that's important, right? Uh, building relationships with your neighbors and with other people, that's important. Developing a budget to become debt-free is important. Spending time with your spouse is important. Exercise is important. Would we all agree those things are important? Everyone agree. Shake it. Unanimous. Everyone says those things are important, that we need to have those things in our life. Here's some of the things that become urgent in our life. And just an example, uh, maybe replying to an email. I've got to reply to that email. Even a dirty diaper. Sometimes it can wait a little bit, but I've got to do that. P paying an overdue bill. Cleaning up a spill. Cleaning the house before guests arrive. Running our children to dance or karate practice or any other practice. Those are all urgent things, and those are just some examples of many other examples that we have of urgent things. But what happens, though, that sometimes the urgent things in our lives and the important things in our life, they kind of intersect, right? They intersect. And an intersection might be taking your children to a karate class or, or, or dance class, and but seeing something along the way that gives you an opportunity to teach a life lesson that they will never forget. That's a wonderful thing, right? Because those two things intersect. And what we need to remember when the urgent things in our life, uh, when we're doing those, we need to look for opportunities to interact with important things. Look for opportunities for them to interact together. We need to do that. But so often, they don't intersect, they just collide. The urgent and the important things. And when they collide, which one do you think wins most often? It's the urgent things. The urgent things, we run after those things. And so there's some things that we, we just put off all the time, the important things. We put them off and we say, I need to get to those important things. Someday I need to get to the important things, like teaching life lessons to my children. I need to be doing that, and I need to do it. And someday I'm going to do that as we're dropping our child off at college. Or we're walking our daughter down the aisle. Or we're watching our son getting married. Or something like that. Say, I wish I'd have done that. But all the urgent things, the tyranny of the urgent, smothered out the opportunities for the important things. And maybe it's too late for some of us. Maybe it's too late to do some of those things. But we missed out. Because we always are called by those urgent things, and we miss out doing the important things. So we're talking here about God's Word. We're going to come back to here. And he uses this term here, selfish gain, in verse 36, selfish gain. He says, turn my heart toward your statues and not toward selfish gain. Apparently, this was an issue for the psalmist that he was involved in selfish gain, of building his own portfolio, building his own business, or thinking about early retirement or some kind of retirement or, or the next sports car or the next trip he's going to take or the next big business deal or whatever it may be. He says, deliver me from selfish gain is what he says and turn my heart toward your righteousness is what he's asking. Turn my heart. I like this because the psalmist isn't saying, and I want you to note this, he's not saying you need to work harder or you need to try harder. He's not saying that. Notice that. He's not saying, well, you know what you need to do? You need to work harder. You need to go to work even more. You need to work harder at this. No, what is he saying? He's saying, no, you need to pray. You need to pray. That's what you need to do. And ask God to turn your hearts toward his. That's what the psalmist has recognized. This is what I need in my life. I need to pray and ask God to turn my heart toward his. Imagine with me, if you have the opportunity to eat spiritually every day. Now, we're talking about spiritually every day. You have the opportunity. And one of the choices you have is just... A fresh, 
hot baked bread comes out of the oven. My, my wife made some yesterday, and it smells so good. But think about that. Fresh hot bread comes out of the oven. It's steaming. It's smelling up the whole house. It smells so good. And when you get this fresh hot bread, you just can't take any knife to cut it, right? Because what happens? It'll smash it. It'll flatten it. So you got to get a real sharp knife. So you get that real sharp knife, and you cut that real nice slice off that hot bread. It's steaming. You put the butter on that bread, and it just melts. The bread just soaks it up, and you eat it, and it just melts in your mouth. You getting hungry? It tastes good. Tastes real good, right? Tastes good. That's one choice. Think of that, that I'm able to eat that. Or on the other side here, you've got a bagel that's been sitting over here for a long time, a couple of weeks or so, and it's hard as a rock. Which one are you going to take? Which one you want to have? What the psalmist is saying, he's challenging with, he says our selfish gain is what he's talking about. He says, how often do we substitute the bread, the bread of life, Jesus, for something gnawing of the things of this world that will truly never, ever satisfy. How many of you want to eat that stale a bagel? Probably no, none of us do we. But why do we do it? Why do we substitute the things that give life, the things of life, for a stale old a bagel that will probably break our tooth or chip our tooth? But we do that all the time. Instead of taking these things that God has for us, these spiritual things that are good for us, that gives life, we give the things that have no value that cannot satisfy, and we go after those things. But the psalmist, he carries it further when he says, help me to have clarity and understanding your word. He says, teach it to me that I might obey it and turn my heart. I think if we pray that prayer, we ask God, say, God, help me to move my heart toward his, that God will do that. And when our heart moves toward God, he's going to give us an appetite, that which will satisfy so we will never hunger again. That will be so satisfied with God that I will never crave for that stuff that does not satisfy, that old stale bagel, that I only want God and what he has, because he's the only one that can truly satisfy, and the things of this world will never satisfy, right? That we really find satisfaction in God, the one who truly satisfies. We move our hearts toward him. That gives us the, the third piece, the third prayer before uh, we read the, God's word, is number three, pray for eyes turn toward God's word. Pray for eyes turn toward God's word. Let's read verses 37 through 39. He says, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread for your laws are good. Notice all the verbs he uses here. In the previous verse he says, turn my heart toward you. Now he says, turn my eyes toward you. Eyes from what to what is what he's saying. Eyes from what to what? Well, he wants us to turn our eyes toward God and his word from, he uses the word worthless things. Turn from worthless things. Worthless things are anything that takes the place of God and his word. Anything like that. So worthless things could be thoughts of retirement. Could be wrong thoughts. It, it, it could be wrong thoughts about a neighbor, a friend, or someone at work. Could be malicious thoughts. Could be lustful thoughts. Anything that takes the place of God and his word in contrast is worthless things, is what he's talk, talking about. So he says, turn my eyes from this, to this, to God and his word. Turn my eyes from the worthless thing to God and his word. So he's identifying what we see the psalmist identifying, saying, God, I need your help to do this. I can't do this on my own. Turn my eyes is what he's saying. And he goes on to say in verse 38, he says, fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. What are the promises of God? There's a lot of them. When you fix our eyes on worthless things, we forget about the promises of God all the time, don't we? We forget about his promises. 
One of the promises of God that we're never going to realize when we fix our eyes on worthless things is the promise of Jesus. How Jesus came into this world, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that we might have eternal life. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. As long as we have our eyes fixed on worthless things, we're never going to uh, have that thought of Jesus coming and dying on the cross for our sins. So we're never going to be able to claim that promise where it's found in so many areas of the Bible. The promise of Jesus, right? In John 1.12, where it says, Yet to all who received him, who received Jesus, those who believe in the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Or it goes on in Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, where it says it. That's a promise that we all, we can have that promise when we turn our eyes away from worthless things toward God in his word and understand that we can have eternal life through Jesus, right? That's one of the promises of God that he gives us, just one of the promises. But if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you've never done that, claim that promise today of God's forgiveness by putting your faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. There's another promise here that I want to draw your attention to that he alludes to here in verse 39. And he's talking about th that is the dread that often comes in our lives when we fail to fear him because we have sin in our lives, is what that is. And we do things that are in opposition to God in this word is when we do that. And when we do that, what happens? We have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We feel from ourselves we have our own shame. We have our own guilt. And maybe this is the first time we've ever confessed this sin. And our own spirit is saying within us, how could you do this to God? And we anticipate hearing God say, how many times have you brought this same thing to me? Have you confessed it a hundred times? We have the wicked one whispering in her ear, and he's saying, you're worthless. How shameful, how shameful you are to do this. How dare you do this? You can't even approach the throne of God because look what you've done. And so the result of hearing all that and thinking what we think God might say in the wicked one whisper in our ears, we run and we run. And we get further and further away from God is what we happens. But we need to pray. We need to come and say, God, turn my eyes toward you so I can hear your promise. And God's promise, here's God's promise. And I give it to you all the time. You can say, oh yeah, that verse. 1 John 1, 9. As a believer in Jesus Christ, this is, a, this is one of these verses that I would tell you to memorize, 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 highlight it, get it in your heart, because we need this constantly in our lives, where it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, it will purify us from all unrighteousness. It literally means from every unrighteous act is what he's talking about. Wow! God promises no matter what you do, no matter how many times you do it as a believer in Christ, he says, I will forgive you of that sin. He promises, a promise from God. It's a great promise that we have in 1 John 1, 9. But we will never know that promise when our eyes are fixed on worthless things. We'll never understand that problem, promise that he has. So, Lord, direct my eyes toward you and your word that I might see, that I might have fear you, and the dread may be gone, and I might claim that promise of forgiveness. But so often what happens, the wicked one would say, you can never be used of God again because what you've done. And God's word will resound coming over that, and God's word will say, I, I love you, and nothing you can do can separate us. My love is transcendent. And you claim God's promise, his forgiveness. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's trying to get to, the psalmist is saying. I love these eight verses because it liberates me from the vicious cycle of trying harder and failing and trying harder and failing again. It delivers me from all that. 
that you're delivered. If you know Christ, you're delivered from all that. I don't have to try harder and fail or any of that. Where he's just saying, no, no, stop trying so hard. Start with a, a prayer. And these eight verses are a prayer that the psalmist is praying, that he gives to us. And he's saying, no, they're saying, Lord, teach me. Turn my heart toward you and direct my gaze from the things that are worthless and empty to the things that are eternal. God in his word is what he's saying. And when we do that, the important things will then take precedence over the urgent things in our lives. Every time when we turn our eyes toward him and away from the worthless things in this world, we'll see what's really important. No, this is important. Those other things can wait. They can really wait, those urgent things. But this is what is important, what we need to be doing or understanding. What I would love to do this day, if, if you will allow me to do this, if you would be willing to pray these eight verses for yourself. Not for someone else, for yourself. And what I want to do right now, I want to close the service right now with you all standing up. And you can take your Bible with those eight verses, or I'm going to have it up here on the screen, that you're going to read this, but it's just going to be reading. That I want you to pray these verses to God for yourself. Because we all need this. We all need this. So I want to make this as a prayer. And I'm going to start it off, but I want you to read slow. And then I'm going to taper off and let you just be reading it. You can read the Word of God you have in front of you. If you have your translation ready to read, or we can read this. But pray it. Pray it, okay? Pray it. Just don't read it and say, oh, I'm done. So we're going to go this really slow. But if we could all stand, everyone could stand. We could just pray this together. But you're praying this for yourself, not for your child, not for your spouse. You're praying it for yourself because we all need it. Let's start off together. Verse 33, everyone ready? Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, and I will keep them to the end. What a wonderful prayer, isn't it? Amen, amen. He says, preserve my life two times, he says that here. And I think that life comes when you and I have a fresh vision of God's majesty and his glory. So we have a fresh reminder of who I was and what I am to become. May God give me a fresh reminder of that, of these things. That should be our prayer today and every day, right? I would encourage you to pray this, that when you go home this week, we pray in that prayer, because we all need it. We can't say they need it. No, I need it. You need it. We all need it, right? Let's close in, in, in prayer. Lord, you come and we praise you. We thank you so much for the word of God, Lord. It's so authentic. It's so real. It's so truthful. And it, Lord, it's so relevant. It gives me just what I need at the exact time. There, Lord, I can't think of anyone that all of us need exactly what this psalmist is saying in these 33, verses 33 through 40, that we need you to teach us to turn our hearts toward you, turn it away from worthless things toward those things which are eternal, which is God in your word. Help, help us, Lord. We cannot do this ourselves. We need you. 
to guide us and lead us. Because left by ourselves, Lord, we will turn from you and turn doing our own things. Not some of the time, every time. We need you, Lord. We desperately need you in our lives to guide us and direct us, to live our lives that glorify you, to do the important things. The important things is what we need to do and put you first in our lives. Lord, I pray that for each one of us, Lord. I pray that prayer for all of us, Lord, that we would do these things in our hearts and minds, that this week that would be the challenge for us, Lord, to be reading these verses and be praying over them, maybe to break it into pieces, to really asking God, God, teach me. Help me to understand this. Help me to apply this to my life so my life changes and I put you first, that I don't run after all the things of this world constantly, going left to the right, and, but, Lord, that I'm focused on you and what you have for me. Help us, Lord, to become the people you want us to be. I pray that for each person. I pray, Lord, you know exactly what's going on in our hearts and minds. You know exactly what each and every one of us needs this morning. And I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit and your word of God, Lord, that you would take it and give application in our lives. As we leave here, Lord, we have something to take with us, something that you've showed us, something that you've, you've taught us today, that you've changed in our lives that we need to apply. Dear Lord, if we need to, get us in that headlock or that hammerlock to say, change my life. Change if we need that. Lord, we ask that you would take the word of God and encourage us, rebuke us, comfort us, teach us, all those things that you so greatly do each and every time. For Lord, those things will never happen if we never get, in, get into it. So, Lord, give us a love for your word. Give us a clarity that we might obey it. Help us, Lord. Help us with this. Help us to put off those things that we don't need to be doing, that we really can focus on you and your word today, tomorrow, this year, next year. Because these are the things that we desperately need. All those other things that we think are so important, Lord, they're not. The two greatest things that we need is God and your word, above all things else. Those are the things that are eternal. So, Lord, help us, Lord, to be focused on that. And through that, you will give us balance in life, time for a spouse, time for our children, and time for everything else. That we'll live a balanced life. Help us to live those lives, Lord. Help us not to be running after the urgent, the tyranny of the urgent, but to go after the important things, the things that make a difference, the things that will impact our children and change their lives and they never will forget. Help us to be those kind of people. But, Lord, we're only going to get that way by you guiding us, by you leading us. So we surrender our hearts and minds to you this morning, today, this week, next month, next year, this year, Lord, we, we ask you to help and guide us that we might become the people that you want us to be. We love you, Lord, and we know, Lord, that you're the only hope that we have, that through you, Lord, we cling to because you're our living hope. You're the one that will guide us and, and direct us in our lives, and we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful for you sending Jesus, Lord. We love and praise you. We ask all these things in a wonderful, amazing name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.